From the After 9 Podcast Studios, this, this is After 9 with Scott and Kat. Hey now, friends. Hey now. Welcome to After 9. Scott solo again today. Kat is off, and, and that's okay. That's okay. We're going we're gonna to do it similar to how we did it yesterday. Basically, the same topic to open up today's podcast, and I'll be honest with you, I am furious. Bad news. Most of us in Canada are going to continue to see our home heating bills month after month climb this winter. A Conservative Party motion yesterday to remove the carbon tax from all forms of home heating, including natural gas, has failed to pass in the House of Commons. This was remarkable. The NDP voted with the Conservatives. Think about that for a second. If there is a natural enemy in the wild, it's the NDP and the Conservatives. They don't see eye to eye on anything. In a lot of cases, they vote against each other just out of spite. But give Jagmeet Singh just an ounce of credit, just a little bit, because he had the guts to go up against Trudeau and vote to remove the carbon tax from home heating yesterday. But the Liberals... They managed to pull it out of the fire again. They saved their ass again. How the hell is this even possible? That with a prime minister and a government as wildly unpopular as they are, they managed to find another party to vote with them to save their bacon. Final vote, 186 opposed, 135 in favor. The 135, those are conservatives and NDP, 186 is a combination of the Liberals and the Bloc Québécois. Conservative conservative leader Pierre Polyev came out and spoke yesterday after his motion failed in the House of Commons. He's not happy. I don't think anybody's happy. Justin Trudeau confirmed again today that he's not worth the cost. But what we learned is that he's now got a new carbon tax coalition with the separatists to divide our country. Given that the NDP was forced to flip-flop, on Trudeau's plan to quadruple the tax. He had to find a new partner to keep him in power and avoid this non-confidence vote from passing. And who was there to save him? The separatists. So he's now signed on with the separatists to divide Canadians into two separate classes. Those who will have to pay carbon tax on their home heat and a small minority who will get a pause from the pain. All of Trudeau's MPs sold out their constituents and voted to make their home heating more expensive. I'm going to just highlight that one point because Mr. Polyev is absolutely right. Every single liberal member of parliament yesterday voted to raise your costs. When we're at an unprecedented level of bankruptcies, of insolvencies, of consumer proposals, when we are at record numbers of Canadians going to food banks, we've got homes getting foreclosed upon, the middle class has been assaulted from every single direction, including corporate Canada, who is, we're getting gouged and we're getting hit with interest rate hikes and the carbon tax all at once. They had a chance yesterday to stand up to their boss, Justin Trudeau, and say, no, I was elected by the people in my area, and the people in my area cannot afford this. They had an opportunity to do it, and every single liberal member of parliament voted to raise your costs this winter. It's insane. Trudeau and 
his costly MPs have divided our country, raised our taxes, and pushed our people out into the cold. After eight years of Justin Trudeau, two million people, a record-smashing two million people had to go to the food bank in a single month. After eight years of Trudeau, we've had the worst inflation in, a, in four decades and the fastest rises in interest rates in monetary history. After eight years of Trudeau, housing costs have doubled and the share of an average paycheck required to make payments on an average home is higher than ever before. It now takes 25 years to, make, to, to, to save up for a down payment on an average Toronto home. It used to be you'd pay off a, an entire mortgage in that time period before Trudeau. And after eight years of Trudeau, you can now buy a 20-bedroom castle in Scotland for a lower price than a two-bedroom home in Kitchener. After eight years of Trudeau, criminals ask if they can stay in jail longer so that they don't have to get out and pay the rent in his housing hell. And to make matters worse, Trudeau wants to quadruple the carbon tax on your heat, gas, and groceries. So with today's vote, and with his hide and divide strategy, Justin Trudeau has set us up for the carbon tax election. I'll leave it at that. We're not going to get into, into an election chant here, but you just heard Pierre Polyev. He's the guy who wants to be prime minister. He's the guy who wants to leave the country and thinks that he can fix what Justin Trudeau has made a colossal mess of over the last eight years. You heard those stats. Two million Canadians. Two million Canadians went to a food bank last month. What the hell is going on here? And they're sitting there in Ottawa laughing at us. They are stealing our money. And they're laughing. A liberal member... Looks to me like he flipped the bird to the conservatives when he voted to keep the carbon tax on home heating yesterday. What a joke. It is absolute insanity that they somehow managed to find another party, the Bloc Québécois, to support it. And, and here's one other thing to consider. The Bloc Québécois doesn't give a shit about Canada. They don't like Canada. They would like to be their own separate country. That's why they exist. They're separatists. They want to divide and destroy Canada. So maybe this is a brilliant move on their part. In Quebec, they don't pay federal carbon tax. They already had their own carbon tax scheme. So this really doesn't affect Quebecers. And normally, the Bloc Québécois is at least somewhat classy in that if it's an issue that doesn't involve Quebec, they don't give a shit. They'll just abstain. If they'd abstained yesterday, the motion would have passed and none of us would have been paying carbon tax on home heating this winter. None of us would have been. But the block got involved again and now they're dividing Canada. The liberals are dividing Canada. This is what they want. And, and you know what? History has taught us this. We go way back to COVID. They fought an entire election on vaccines. They fought an entire election on sticking that in your arm or you can't get on a plane or on a train. Remember when Trudeau turned into Dr. Seuss there for an entire election? It was messed up. This seems to be the thing. Divide Canadians, get everybody angry. But what I don't think he realizes is that they're actually getting kind of angry at him. And I shouldn't even say kind of. 
Affordability is a massive issue. I got a lot of DMs after yesterday's pod, and I want to thank the people who took the time to send me a message. You can message me anytime. It's Solo Scott this week. There's no point in messaging Kat. She won't even hear these episodes. She's having a great time in the Caribbean, and that's good. I'm happy for her. She works her ass off, and she deserves a week off. So you've got me here this week, and if you want to weigh in on anything you hear on After 9, you can text 1-833-915-7469. That's one eight three three nine one five show or you can DM me on Instagram at Scott Fox on air. A lot of people very honest yesterday telling me how hard they are trying and how little progress they're making in paying down their debt, in keeping up with their bills, and even just staying in their home. I read some real sad stories yesterday, and I made a promise that that I will continue to stay on this because nobody in the mainstream media is giving this the attention that it deserves, but they should be. This should be a leading story on every newscast. How many Canadians that day checked into a shelter or went to a food bank or had their home taken away from them or had their car repossessed or whatever. It's happening to people every day, and it's almost like the mainstream media is covering it up. It's disgraceful. Yesterday, new numbers came out from the Ontario Living Wage Network. They're the people who take the time to crunch the numbers and calculate how much money it would take for somebody to live comfortably in various cities in Ontario. The annual study says that $18.65 an hour is the bare minimum someone would need to live in Ontario. And that has you in Windsor, London, Sarnia, Essex County, anywhere in there. You need to make a minimum of $18.65 an hour and work full-time hours. Minimum wage just went up to $16.50 an hour. So right off the bat, in the cheapest place in Ontario, you're short about $2.15 an hour just to try and make ends meet. Northern Ontario, $19.80 an hour. A full-time worker in Hamilton would need to earn $20.80 an hour just to make ends meet. More than four bucks an hour more than minimum wage earners are making in Ontario. Brant, Niagara region, 50 cents less than that. It's $20.30. Living in Waterloo region, Wellington, Guelph, Dufferin County, you need to make $20.90 an hour. Gray Bruce in Huron, $22.75 an hour. If you're trying to make it in the GTA, forget it. It's impossible on minimum wage, working full-time. $25.05 an hour. $9 an hour more than minimum wage. I know that there's going to be some people who say, well, minimum wage is for students. It's for kids. It's this. It's that. Nobody should be living or working on minimum wage. Okay. All right, I mean, you can say that. You're welcome to feel that way. I can't control how you feel. But one thing I would say is, in a lot of cases, you just take the job that you can get. And there's a lot of people losing their jobs right now. That's another thing that you don't hear on the news very often. There are a lot of people losing their jobs. You know, during the pandemic, we had employers scraping and scrambling and struggling to try and get staff. Now they're hoping those staff are going to quit so they don't have to fire them or lay them off. I have a feeling after the holidays, it is going to turn into a bloodbath in economic terms in this country. It's all foreseeable. The government knows it's coming. You know it's coming. I know it's coming. And nobody is talking about it. It's crazy to me. Let's move on to something else here. 
I've just had enough of the the shit going on in Ottawa. Yesterday was such a great opportunity to do something for the people. It would have been wildly popular for the liberals to say, you know what, we're not going to do this anymore. It would have been great if even some of them had the stones to stand up and say, you know what, I'm a liberal, I got elected as a liberal, I get it, Trudeau's like the king of Canada in some weird way, but I, I can't support this because the people who elected me in my home area don't like this. Not one of them had the guts to do it yesterday, and it's crazy. Uh, businesses, in particular, are going to be scrambling over the next couple of months. January 18th is the deadline to repay those pandemic loans and receive partial forgiveness for the amount that they borrowed. Uh, small businesses are hoping the government is going to reverse course and extend it for another year, but 900,000 organizations took out a loan from the Canada Emergency Business Account Program, SEBA, during the pandemic. That offered up to $60,000 in interest-free loans, and just over $49 billion was sent out to these businesses. Now it's time to pay it back, and these businesses are getting screwed right now. They don't have the money. So are all of them going to go under? Is the government going to allow that many businesses to go under? We'll see. The clock is ticking toward January 18th. But like I said, I do want to move on because there's a couple other stories in the news. And, and you know, it, it's more doom and gloom for the governing party right now, but it's something we got to talk about. Our justice system continues to let us down. Here's the story. Drunk driver who killed two University of British Columbia students two years ago will get three years in jail and a five-year driving ban. Yesterday was the sentencing hearing. The court heard that an international student at UBC drank alcohol at a party back in September 2021. They drove on campus early the next morning, possibly still drunk. I don't know. I haven't seen the toxicology, but probably still drunk. They were driving at speeds of 120 kilometers an hour on campus when this person hit and killed two 18-year-old victims. We have two 18-year-olds killed at school. They did absolutely nothing wrong but be in the wrong place, sorry, the right place at the wrong time. This guy killed two people, possibly under the influence of alcohol, definitely being reckless and stunt driving, and he's only going to get three years in jail? How do you kill two people in the prime of their life doing something completely negligent and you only get three years in jail? How is it even possible that you can get away with only three years in jail when you killed two people? Something's got to change. Something's really, really got to change. I don't know about you, but I look around sometimes and think Canada is nothing like I remember Canada. Is there some sort of a Mandela effect going on? Because I remember when this was a country of prosperity, happiness, hope, opportunity, when if you worked hard, you'd get rewarded with a good paycheck and you could raise a family and you could have a little bit of land. You could have a car or two in the driveway. You could put your kids in sports and, and probably afford to send them off to college or university. It's nothing like that anymore. Remember when, when there was a crime committed? You had to do the time. You do the crime, you do the time. Remember that? Even that's changed. We aren't even punishing people really for killing other people anymore. 
What the hell is going on? Apparently, the government has set aside a new slush fund where certain groups can apply to it to get money to hire more security guards. It's that fucking bad now that churches have to apply to the federal government for money to be able to hire security guards so people can pray and not have to worry about getting attacked. In Canada, in 2023, that's what it's come to. We have to have a government fund to protect various groups so that they don't get attacked while they're praying or while they're organizing or celebrating or what have you. It's crazy that we even need that. But here we are. Let's go overseas. The Rafa border crossing in Egypt reopened early this morning to allow more foreigners to leave Gaza. I'm told, and it's still early, as I record this, it's only 10.14. However, I'm told some Canadians were finally allowed to leave Gaza today. People have been leaving Gaza for over a week, and they left the Canadian ones there. They said no Canadians. They've had people leaving from Italy, Spain, the UK. They've had people leaving that are uh, uh, Russian. They've had people leaving that are Chinese, Japanese. I mean, around the world, people have been allowed to leave Gaza. They left the Canadians for more than a week, and they aren't all getting out today, if any even did get out. Again, I haven't really seen much of it. Have we lost all respect on the world stage? Is anybody even listening to us? If Justin Trudeau picks up the phone and calls Benjamin Netanyahu and says, you know what, Ben? We've changed our mind. We're not going to call for a humanitarian pause. We're calling for a ceasefire. So stop bombing. I don't even know if Netanyahu would take his call. I don't know if Joe Biden would take his call even. I don't think he would. It doesn't seem like Canada has a lot of pull on the world stage when our citizens got left in a war zone for over a week when other countries' foreign nationals were being allowed to leave. Again, it's a simple question. What the hell is going on here? I don't even recognize this country sometimes. Let's move on. There are a couple of other stories I want to get to. Ontario may soon have to take over operation of two LRTs in Toronto. Internal documents from a Freedom of Information request say Toronto City Council is considering the indefinite deferral of the Eglinton Crosstown LRT and the Finch West LRT. TTC estimates an annual net operating cost for both lines at $106 million. And as you've probably heard, Toronto's broke. Toronto elected a mayor, and I'm not going to shit on Olivia Chow. So far, she hasn't really done anything, but she also hasn't fucked anything up. So it seems like she's doing a fine job. She got elected on the premise of, I'm going to go to Ottawa, and I'm going to go to Queen's Park, and I'm going to make them pay for Toronto's budget shortfall. Not once did they pull out the red pen and say, okay, well, what can we cut? We've got a massive $100 million budget shortfall. What can we cut? Maybe it's a billion. I don't even know anymore. The Toronto books are a mess. They don't want to cut anything. They just want to raise taxes on people and then hold their hand out to the government so that essentially all of us are paying for that. Now, in this case, I happen to agree with them. I I think this should fall under Metrolinx. Any train, anything that runs on rail, it just makes sense to have Metrolinx look after it. If the province has to eat the cost on it, fine. The province has to eat the cost on it. It's not like only Torontonians are going to use this. My question is, do we really want the, the provincial government looking after this? If I said federal, by the way, I meant provincial. This should be in Doug Ford's area. The Eglinton Crosstown LRT and the Finch West LRT. 
Maybe the province shouldn't be looking after it. How long have we been trying to finish this goddamn LRT on, on Eglinton? It's been years. People have, have raised kids and moved on in the time that we've been trying to build this goddamn LRT. It's still not done. Now we want to hand it over to run it to the people who have been trying to build it and screwed it up all these years? I'm not blaming this government or the previous government, but it's been a series of screw-ups here, and nobody wants to hold the contractors accountable. Nobody seems to want to go to people who say, you know what, I'm going to repave the 401, and I'm going to charge you $10 million to do it. It'll take me, uh, take me a month to get it done. Well, when it doesn't take a month, or when it doesn't cost that amount of money, it costs 10 times more. Nobody goes back to these contractors and says, wait a second, you said you would do it for this price, and it'd be done by this date. And it's not done by that price or that date. Neither. We still don't even know when it's going to be open. Isn't that mismanagement? Like when you stop and think about it, isn't that a colossal mismanagement? In what universe do we not hold people accountable? If somebody comes to your home and says, hey, I want to do a, a landscaping deal here. And if you pay me 150 bucks a month between May and October, I'll come and cut your grass twice a month and, and I'll clear your driveway if it happens to snow. I'll clean up your leaves and all that shit. 150 bucks a month, five, six months a year. If they don't show up, if they don't give you the service that you booked, you tell them to hit the road. Get the hell out of here. You wouldn't pay them. You certainly wouldn't pay them more. Imagine they came back to you and said, yeah, I know we said we'd do it for 150 a month, but... It's actually going to be about 700 a month. You would tell them to fuck right off, wouldn't you? Why doesn't the government do that? I, I truly don't understand other than it seems like the taxpayers are being completely fleeced here. They are ripping us off. It's insanity to me. So I don't know. I mean, Toronto, it makes sense. Upload it. Let the province do it. However, as a potential consumer here, I don't know if it's the best idea to let them run it either because it doesn't seem like we have a very good track record here. The Ontario government came up with some pretty interesting proposals yesterday, and I have a feeling, by and large, these are going to be quite popular. Here's the first one. Ontario is going to introduce legislation that makes employers include salary ranges in a job posting. The Ontario labor minister says that'll help close the gender pay gap. Currently, women still earn an average of 87 cents for every dollar earned by a man. The legislation would also make employers disclose if AI was used during the hiring process. Okay, sort through the bullshit. I really don't know what the AI thing has to do with anything. I mean, I don't know. We can all use AI to sift through some resumes or scan Indeed or LinkedIn or whatever you happen to be using. So I don't really care much about that. It's really not clear to me how this is going to narrow the pay gap. I'm not sure. But either way, let's stop wasting everyone's time. Why would I apply for a job if I don't know how much it pays? It could be way under what I'm expecting. If I'm looking for a job that's six figures and I find out this only pays minimum wage, I'm not going to apply for it. Unfortunately, in a lot of cases, you don't find out what the pay is until after you've gone through your first, second, and maybe even third interview. Why is that? It should just say up front, hey, here's the job. You're going to be clearing people's driveways and cutting their grass and raking their leaves. You're going to do it twice a month at every house and we're going to pay you this amount of money. Well, if that's not an amount of money that I want to work for, I'm not going to apply for the job. Let's stop wasting everybody's time here. Let's stop it. So yeah, that's a good common sense policy. The province is also considering banning the use of NDAs 
non-disclosure agreements in cases of workplace sexual harassment, misconduct, or violence. This is great. The labor minister says non-disclosure agreements should never be used to silence a victim or to sidestep accountability in the workplace. The government says 7 in 10 workers have reported experiencing a form of harassment or violence in their workplace with the rates even higher for women and gender diverse people. Okay, I have no information on those stats that they have there, but either way, I th- <laughs> okay. This is probably a good idea. But I also happen to think that adults are adults and we should probably treat them like adults. Hey, if my workplace comes to me and says, hey, I know that Dave was sexually harassing you, Scott, and, and that's not okay, but, you know, we're, we're going to take care of this internally and we're sorry for the inconvenience. We're going to pay you X number of dollars, but you won't be able to talk publicly about what happened. For the right amount of money, I'm willing to shut up. Sure. I think a lot of people would be. And maybe you don't want to. Nothing would require you to, to sign that NDA. I don't know that we need to ban them, but I at least think that it's good that we're discussing it because, yeah, there are situations where people have been bullied into signing an NDA that really didn't work out well in their favor in the end. Registered nurses in Ontario are soon going to be able to prescribe certain medications such as birth control and drugs for smoking cessation. Health Minister Sylvia Jones says the move makes it more convenient to access care and it'll reduce wait times at community clinics and hospitals. The province says that nurses will need to do an additional education module in order to prescribe. Registration for that is going to open in January. The Registered Nurses Association was calling for this. Yeah. Again, we have we had so many trained medical professionals in this country. How long did it take us to realize... Yeah, there's really no reason a pharmacist couldn't be doing prescriptions for certain things. At the same time, we probably should have done the nurses then too. Well, now we're finally getting to the nurses. This makes perfect sense. You go into the ER and you got a little cut on your arm. A nurse is perfectly qualified to to look at that, maybe clean it up and prescribe an ointment to put on top of it. You don't need to see a doctor, take up a bed in a hospital for three hours or a spot in the waiting room. Nurses are perfectly capable of dealing with a lot of this sort of stuff. And it's just the way things have got to go. We have a massive shortage of doctors and nurses and healthcare professionals in particular. We've got very wealthy individuals running these hospitals and scheduling the staff, but they've done such a piss poor job that people are scrambling. We've got a lot of people going down to the states, moving to other provinces, being lured to other countries to work in healthcare because they're getting offered a better deal. And Canada's part of that. We're out there poaching other healthcare workers from other countries and bringing them here. Let's just make it make sense. If you've got a trained nurse who's been through everything that's required to be a registered nurse in Ontario, why wouldn't they be allowed to prescribe some certain things? Nurse practitioners will be able to do more. And by the way, I think this is just step one. They like to ease us into these things because some people who are stalwart supporters of the current system that we have hate the idea of any change at all in the system. The only way the system is going to get better is with change and with ingenuity. And frankly, this is just fine. Right now, they can prescribe, what was it, uh, birth control, smoking cessation drugs, uh, things like that. It'll expand quick. I picture before next year is over, the health minister is going to trot out again and announce the latest round of things that nurses are allowed to prescribe for. And they'll probably expand the number of things that pharmacists are allowed to prescribe for. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. 
there's potential for things to go wrong, but I think it's a real small potential. And when you look at the big problem, I think that uh, this is definitely part of the solution. Thanks for listening to After 9. We're going to switch gears here now. We're going to talk about a couple of fun things. Coming up in just a sec, the new list is out. The things that people stuck in their body. The things that people put in their body for whatever reason. It's amazing how many people have to go to the ER every single year because they shove something in one of the holes that their body happens to have. Foreign objects lodged in people's bodies is the ninth leading cause of unintentional injuries that led to emergency room visits in 2021. Now the 2022 numbers are out, and frankly, it's crazy. We'll start off with something fun. Let's talk about ears. I don't think anybody has a weird fetish or or fascination with sticking things in their ears, so I don't know how this happened. Cufflinks, wet tissue, a plastic sword got stuck in somebody's ear. An insect, a rock, a lollipop, a charger, piece of an ice cream cone, a thumbtack, pencil eraser, and a game piece from Battleship. All things that were extracted from people's ears in the ER. Liquid items in the ear included shoe glue. Apparently, somebody tried to put eardrops in and use shoe glue instead. Oh, that was stupid. Lighter fluid, candle wax, hydrogen peroxide, all things that people have had to have taken out of their ears. What about the nose? Gum wrappers. A used match was found in somebody's nose. Who stuck the match up their nose? And was it just to get that sulfur smell? I don't know about that one. Magnets, rice, candy hearts, yarn, jewels, gummy worms, an orange peel, an LED light, flowers, cheese, popcorn, kernels, and glue. All things that have ended up in somebody's nose. That's a weird one for me. But I'll tell you what, there's more to it. See, on the radio show, we always try and not put parents in an awkward position by talking about things that they might have to explain to their kids. So, we intentionally left part two of that segment for today's After 9. Let's get to the stuff you're interested in. The report says it is surprising that both men and women had multiple ER visits after inserting items into their genitalia. For men, sex toys, beads, a paper clip. You crazy son of a bitch. You stuck a paper clip in your wiener. Coins, a car key, a pencil, a nail, a ceiling fan chain. You know that little beaded metal thing, the cord that you pull to get the ceiling fan to change directions? Somebody stuff one of those in their dick. It's a drumstick, a flashlight, drinking cup. Somebody tried to stick a golf ball in there. You, fuck. A nail polish bottle, and yes, even a spatula. Uh, Some of those were women, by the way. I should have specified. Uh, Guys basically stopped at a wooden spoon that they tried to stick in their penis. Women in their vagina tried to insert a hand, coins, a screw, a pen. The drumstick was in a woman. A flashlight in the woman. Drinking cup, a golf ball, nail polish bottle. And yes, it was a woman that tried to stick a spatula in her hoo-ha. What about the butt? 
It's remarkable. Some of the things ambitious people are trying to stick up their bum. Sex toys, spoons, magnets, bottles, crayons. Somebody jammed a wrench up their ass. Good God, what is going on? Action figures, that's no way to treat G.I. Joe. A vegetable peeler, I hope you threw it out afterwards. Candles, a fishing pole. You crazy son of a bitch, you stuck a fishing pole up your ass. Wow. Somebody tried to put an ice cream cone in their ass. Had to go to the ER. And really, (laughs) I don't know if people are laughing listening to this or if they're mortified listening to this. But one thing I would say, and it goes back to the previous topic. We have a major problem with healthcare. We have a ton of people that can't get a family doctor. And you assholes are sticking spatulas up your ass. We don't have the hospital capacity for this shit. Knock it off. (laughs) I'm trying to sound serious. And I can't do it. I don't give a shit what you put in your body. Really do whatever you want. But just consider the fact that somebody's got to take that out. You know, before you put it up there, ask yourself, do I have a solid plan to get this out of my ass if shit goes south? Because the last thing I want to do is go to the hospital because I've got a golf ball in my vagina. That's the last thing you want to do. So I say we all have an exit strategy. (laughs) You need an exit strategy. Don't stick something up your butt that you're not 100% confident you can get out of your butt. And let that be words to live by from today's after nine. (laughs) A couple other stories that are making headlines today. Let's talk about, uh, uh, oh, tech. This is a great Reddit thread. I was, uh, I mentioned yesterday, I was in Peterborough over the weekend at the Bagataway Cup, which is the Canadian University Lacrosse Championships. And I was there with a fellow volunteer who does great work. He's our treasurer, Mark. And, and Mark's a great guy. We were having breakfast on Sunday morning at a restaurant in Peterborough. And I noticed his phone was flashing. I said, what the hell is going on over there? This fucking guy still got a BlackBerry and it still has the red light on it and it still works. I forgot completely about that. Are you old enough to remember back in the day when your curve was right there in the holster on your belt (laughs) and, uh, and you saw that red light? That red light is how you knew you had a new text message or a new email. I had no idea it still does it. In fact, I didn't even know you could still use a BlackBerry. But it got us talking Uh, It was a conversation about outdated tech that people still use, and they're still very, very happy with it. So sure enough, there's a thread about Reddit, thread about it on Reddit. I'm going through this, and the number one thing that comes up over and over in this thread is a notepad and pen. Yeah. It doesn't get any more low tech than a notepad and a pen. But one thing I'll tell you, your notepad has never crashed and and not saved all your work. That notepad has never given you an issue while rebooting. That notepad has never caught a virus. That notepad has never been hacked. Low tech sometimes is great. Watches came up a lot too. I had a good collection of watches going for a while there. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to be a watch guy. And then Apple released the Apple watch. Now I look at all these watches and I even have a display case for them. They don't tell me how many steps I took. They don't tell me when I have an email. They don't tell me how far it is from my ball to the green. They don't do any of those things. They were really 
just to tell the time. And while that's mainly what people expect from a watch, I have a feeling the the expectations have risen in recent years, mainly because of smartwatches. But there's still people out there who use their tried, tested, and true regular watch. Calculator with buttons and that single screen. Physical media, DVDs, CDs, video games, books, textbooks, etc. Yeah, all those things are great. I still play on a PS4, just so you know. Yeah, outdated tech, I'm doing it. I'm almost an entire generation behind in PlayStation consoles, and I'm okay with it. It still works fine, and I still have a good time. So I'm on this list. There was a regular hand crank can opener. Yeah, they always work. Don't need hydro for it or anything. You got to open a can, use one of these. Motorless lawnmowers. That's a horrible way to cut the grass, by the way. You know those blade ones that just spin around? I don't know if that's necessarily something we needed to keep around in this day and age, but hey, it's there. It's, It's a green alternative. Trudeau loves it. A radio, paper maps. One person said, call me crazy, but I still read by candlelight. Oh, like you're living in a cave or in in the dark ages. Interesting, interesting. It's a good thread. Uh, And we got a lot of great text messages on that on the show today, too. The the tech options that are outdated, but you still use them because they work great. I think part of the point of this thread was to point out that we don't have to throw things out. Just because something newer or better comes along doesn't mean we need to throw it out. In a lot of cases, these are still perfectly fine things. But that's what we do, right? Oh, there's a new iPhone. Got to get rid of my old iPhone. Even though your old iPhone works perfectly fine, maybe it's a little slower, but it's not going to cost you an extra $2,000 out of pocket. But these are the sort of things that we do. So it was an interesting one. Uh, Thank you to everybody who listened to the radio show, by the way. I know it's different when it's just me. And it's different again when it's just me in the pod. But nonetheless, uh, we appreciate you listening. If you did on 91.5 The Beat in Kitchener, Energy 95.3 in Hamilton, uh, Fresh 93.1 in Barrie in Simcoe County, or 103.1 Fresh Radio in London. One more thing I want to do. It was another question that came up on our show today. And it's based on an interview that Jerry, the Golden Bachelor, did on Live with Kelly and Mark yesterday. They asked him a good question, and it's a question that I think a lot of bachelors get asked. Listen to this. You did this thing that we've watched so many bachelors before you do. You dropped the L word on more than one woman. I love you. See, there's a, there's a certain bachelor tradition that you need to keep alive with every season. Uh-huh. And, and stepping in a bucket is one yes. of them, and that's it. But what what happened? In the, the, you just got carried away, or did you actually fall in love with more than one woman? No, I think it's fair to say that I actually fell in love with those women. Um, but that's not the same as realizing that one of the three of them, by the end of the journey, is the one person that you can't live without. Um, ah. with, with each of those women, they had such wonderful personalities. They were each different and unique in their own way. But And, and to love them, I... I can openly admit to that, but I also know that there was only one by the end of it, clearly, that is the one I couldn't live without. Well, I mean, shit. That's a perfect answer. That's the perfect answer. He just gave the perfect answer. It's great. But I did ask a question because I'm really not sure if that's even a thing. Is it possible to be in love with more than one person at the same time? 
So we did an instant Scott and Cat text poll this morning. Not scientific by any means, but I think it's a good barometer of what the public thinks. I'm kind of surprised to say it was right down the middle, 50-50. Half of people think you cannot be in love with more than one person at one time. Half say, yeah, it's totally possible. We even had some examples sent in. Eye-opening stuff. Thanks for listening to this episode of After 9. That's my time. We will see you tomorrow with another episode. I think tomorrow is going to be day one with the guests, but I'm not 100% sure. I got a whole bunch of people whose schedules are getting all fucked around. I got a whole bunch of people whose schedules are all messed up. So I think we might have a guest tomorrow. We might not. Either way, it's going to be a great After 9. I hope you can listen. Enjoy your day.